One of my favorite things in life is discovering like a really good old thing that I have no experience with. I've never heard it, never seen it. It's brand new to me. And then just falling in love with it. My father was an immigrant to this country, born and raised in the Philippines, came to this country. He just didn't listen to a ton of that classic old American music. And so sometimes a song will come on and I'll be like, what the hell is this? And my wife will be like, you don't know Chicago? And I just keep going, why are the horns going so hard? Like, wh why is the brass going so hard? And then I just listen to 25 or 624 forever for just weeks on end. And I and it's brand new to me. And I act like I just discovered it. And you fall in love and it's the best. It's the best. Well, I was on Twitter before the holiday and someone started this thread of like the best sports writing. And in that thread, I'm sorry, I don't know who posted this, but they posted an article called a U.S. track star in the 30 foot long jump that didn't count. And I'm like, OK, you've got my interest. It was written by Joe Poznanski. And the person that posted about it is talking about how Joe's one of the country's great sports writers. And then I read the article and I'm just like, holy shit, how did I not know this story? And you read it and you fall in love with it. We're going to post it in our socials at First Ballot Pod on Twitter, at First Ballot HOF on Instagram. You should read it for yourself. I have no problem saying this. The article will be better than this podcast. But my gut tells me when you love the article, you'll come back and really enjoy our chat. Carl Lewis and Mike Powell have long jump records that may never be broken. The days of guys jumping so insanely far are probably over why why is that why has no one come close to those long jump records and why did the world's longest jump probably the greatest jump that any human has ever made in recorded history why did that jump not count it's all fascinating and we're gonna get into it right here on first balance Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and decides if they're good enough for the First Ballot Hall of Fame. Remember, we don't induct the best sports moments, although we can and we have. We induct the moments that really matter, the really great moments, the First Ballot moments. I am your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, the podcast Jordan Clarkson, half Filipino, half the Jewish half of Jordan Farmar. I'm not the biggest Lakers fan. I am the best Lakers fan born in Toledo, Ohio. That's the glass city. People have started calling me the glass city Cobra, like Tommy Hearns. That's not true, but let's go with it. Mr. Not always right, but never ever wrong. Coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal office depot, big and tall executive suite desk chair in my basement. The first ballot hall of fame podcast is brought to you by Ball is Life and the Ball is Life Podcast Network. Follow Ball is Life on all social platforms. You already do, probably. But if you don't stop being stupid, follow them at Ball is Life. We are not currently sponsored by anyone, but we could be sponsored by any number of things. 
but today we could be sponsored by the phrase, I'll see you in hell. God damn. Think about that sentence. Think about the first time someone told someone, I'll see you in hell. I like to think it was organic. I like to think it was authentic. I'm hopeful that whoever said it first didn't plan it, didn't write it down and think this would be a killer thing to say. I'm hoping it came out of the fire of the conversation. And I uh, have to presume that one man looked at another man and said, I'll see you in hell. The whole goddamn room must have been on fire after that sentence. Holy shit. A perfect sentence. Maybe the most perfect sentence that's ever been said. Anyways, whoever has the license on that sentence, I'll see you in hell. Hit us up. We're willing to promote. I'll do some ad reads. I'll sell some t-shirts. You know what I mean? The long jump that never happened and the greatest day in long jumping history. Two great moments in sports history, but are they first ballot Hall of Famers? We have to decide that today. And here to do it with me is, I can't believe I get to say this, here to do it with me is one of this country's best sports writers ever. Do you do you know how insane that is to say it and mean it? It's the truth. Buckle up, everybody. We've got a whale of an intro today. He started his career, my guest started his career in newspapers. Very funny concept to have to explain to a child. Think about explaining to a kid what a newspaper is and how they worked. And then the newspapers would get delivered and kids from the neighborhood would go pick them up and walk them to every house. And they, a kid, you'd pay children to do it. Kids will lose their minds. Anyways. He got started in newspapers, including the Charlotte Observer, the Cincinnati Post, the Augusta Chronicle, and the Kansas City Star. He continued his career at the legendary, the illustrious Sports Illustrated. Maybe you've seen his work on NBC Sports, The Athletic, MLB.com, or the MLB Network. Perhaps most famously, our guest today, known as the New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including The Baseball 100, Paterno, and The Secret of Golf. He's been named National Sports Writer of the Year by five different organizations, is a winner of two Emmy Awards. He co-hosts the Podcast, a sports podcast from Levitard and Friends and Metal Arc Media, and he co-hosts that with TV super producer Mike Schur. Lastly, and because I love specificity, today's guest recognized and awarded only the second Tony Kubek Media Award ever given out by the National Polish American Sports Hall of Fame. That sentence goes hard as hell. It's the exceptionally talented Joe Poznanski. Joe, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's as good as an introduction as I've ever gotten right there. Yeah, and I could go on twice as long. Sincerely, your, your, your credits are illustrious, super long, almost obnoxiously long. Uh, <laughs> so I cut it down to what I just said there. Thank you for being on the show. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Joe, I learned you're a born and raised Ohioan. So am I. And so is LeBron James. What's the common thread through the three of us? Best in class. You two, very good at your jobs. Like the, th the thing that you do. Me, I'm good at like eating a Kit Kat. I have a Kit Kat wrapper, like the remnants of a Kit Kat that I've destroyed. I, my guess is I could eat a Kit Kat, like all four bars individually. I wouldn't eat them all at once. I'd break them up. I bet you I could eat all four bars of a Kit Kat in under a minute. Wow. That's what I'm thinking. Are you glad you're on the show? Are you glad you said yes to being on this? Now I am. I mean, I was, I was, you know, reasonably happy before, but <laughs> being, being here with a Kit Kat legend is, is the best. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Joe, set the table for us. What's your favorite sport? I think I know. What's your favorite team and your favorite athlete of all time? Favorite sport, favorite team, favorite athlete? 
Well, you know, it's everybody will say that my favorite sport's baseball. I mean, that's right, the one that's I've written the most about. But I'm actually writing a football book right now, so I am very into football, uh, as you all know, in Ohio. Uh, yes. it's everywhere you grow up in it. So, so it's funny. I mean, baseball has become sort of my thing, but, but I definitely, uh, was a much, much bigger football fan as a kid mm. just because I, I grew up in Cleveland. That's, yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. that was what we had. Um, favorite team I grew up in, in Cleveland. So the, the Browns and, and now guardians and Cavaliers, uh, have been my favorite teams. Uh, you know, some of that is faded, uh, with some of those teams, uh, but beyond ecstatic when LeBron brought the championship home finally uh, to Cleveland. And uh, I write a weekly Browns diary, uh, which has been uh, quite the quite the experience. Uh, and then favorite athlete is a is is going to be a really tough one. Um, you know, I, I I mean, LeBron brought the championship home. So so he he gets it. I grew up my favorite athlete growing up was a second baseman named Dwayne Kuyper, uh, mm-hmm. who I still love. He's now the Giants uh, announcer, hit one home run in his big league career. Um, oh. And uh, and I love him uh, dearly. Uh, you know, so it's it's going to be a Cleveland guy. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, LeBron, my favorite thing about LeBron is that LeBron has, like, if, if, if you had, like, a chart for favorite athletes, LeBron was super high. And then couldn't have been lower after right. the, after I mean, like literally could not have like he was underground how low right. he was, and then he and then he comes like like it's he's he's in a place where you can't come back from, right? And yet he came back, won a championship, went right back up to the top. Yeah, is he? I would assume he's higher now that he won the title than he was previously when he was a phenomenally great athlete, but had not yet had won a title. Correct. Well, I think just in a, he's just it's a different thing. Like I loved him when he was playing for the Cavs as a young player, and he dragged some bad teams. Terrible. I mean, oh, took one team to the finals where they got swept uh, by San Antonio. But you look at that team, you're like that that team is like a first pick in the draft team yeah. without LeBron, oh, right? Hundred um, percent. So I loved him then. But yeah, I mean, it's like you enter, you know, you obviously this is all about first ballot Hall of Fame. You enter a different Hall of Fame totally. when you are finally, finally, finally break a, you know, 50 year curse and 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 bring a championship home. I wonder how much of the conversation with his team was built around things got really bad when we left. But if we can come back and win this, like, I mean, almost certainly it was definitely in the conversation. It got brought up. I would love to hear them talk about that decision and how much they thought, boy, if we can come back and win a title in Cleveland, how amazing will that be? And legendary will I be here forever? It's fascinating to think about LeBron. I think um, I think it's got to To me, there's no question that that it was a huge part of it. I think he always did. You know, LeBron, I think, is he's so conscious of home, right? I mean, Akron is so important to him. He's such a big part of the community there. And he knew, you know, and and maybe he didn't know it the day he did it. Right. But shortly after, he knew how badly he'd burned that bridge, how much Ohio and Cleveland in particular hated him. And you know, I mean, it's nothing like what he did has ever been done. Mm-hmm. For him to just 
I mean, he was getting just savaged by Cleveland, just savaged by Cleveland. And he overcame that and said, I can bring a championship and everything will be right. And uh, I mean, and he did it. It was, it's really incredible. I wonder what's crazier. The idea of LeBron being the hometown kid, the, like the great one, the next big thing, and then abandoning Cleveland and then coming back and winning a title is that career arc stranger than the expectations for LeBron being so high and then him somehow exceeding them. Which of those two ideas is more absurd? I'm not certain. That's a great question. I mean, they're both really absurd. Oh. No, there's no question. He left Cleveland at exactly the time when he was dealing with the worst of those expectations. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, he was the best player in the game for years at that point, and it wasn't enough. And and particularly in that last series against Boston, you could see it just wearing on him. He's like mm -hmm. these he even said at one point, like, uh, you know, the, I've spoiled them. I've yes. spoiled these fans. They yep. don't understand. Yep. I can't win a championship all by myself, yeah. you know? And and they didn't give him a very good supporting cast. It was not – it just wasn't a good setup, even though they were great during the regular season. So that's incredible. But, yeah, I mean, I, he was called, what, the, 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 the next great thing, and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 or 15 and all of those things, and yet – yeah, he he went higher than that. I mean, he's still going. It's 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 incredible to it's think amazing. every day he's breaking another record, yes. and it's 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 incredible. He, it, I'd say they're both incredible, incredible things. I was watching a game with my nephew recently, and LeBron made a basket, and I was like, every basket that guy scores is a is a record. Yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. And last night, like yesterday, they, they they get blown out. But uh, he sets the minutes record. It's like every day he sets some <laughs> new record uh, because it's there's never, crazy. you know, there's never been anybody like him. It's really insane. Uh, and an Ohio guy, as are Joe Poznanski and myself. <laughs> All Ohio people, legends, tops of our field. Uh, fantastic. Uh, very quickly, do you believe the Browns have a shot? I got like, what's his name? The quarterback got injured and so he's out. They haven't yeah. replaced him, right? So maybe they don't have a chance anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, it's their defense is really on another planet. It's so good. Their defense is so good. They just don't have a quarterback yeah, now. Yeah. I mean, not not only their starter get hurt, but the rookie is hurt, and you know they're they're bringing guys back from the dead. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like it's 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 an absurdity. Uh, you know what they're dealing with with the quarterback situation, and yet. Their defense is so good. Yeah. If they could just get somebody yeah. in there who's competent yes. and they could run the football, they could do it. You know, yeah. we know from growing up in Ohio, and that's how the Steelers have done it for mm -hmm. years, you know, mm -hmm. just run the football and play great defense and and hit a couple of key passes and voila, you're you know, you're you're fighting for the Super Bowl. So it's not impossible, but it's yeah. not looking great. Uh the book, Joe, that I did not mention in that very long intro. That makes a ton of us a uh, ton of sense for us to talk about here on the show. You wrote "Why We Love Baseball: A History in Fifty Moments." This is your book is this my show is basically the podcast version of your book, just 
you do it about baseball, but we're talking about the same things. You have Jose Canseco, the ball bouncing off his head, going out of bounds. I want to run out just a couple. I haven't read the book yet. Your 50, the, why we love baseball, uh, 15 moments, right. history of 50, in 50 moments. I want to run a couple of the baseball moments that we have inducted into the first ballot hall of fame past you and see if you wrote them in the book. I hope not. Uh, okay. Randy Johnson, killing a bird. Is that in your book? It is in the book, but it is not one of the moments. I Got very it. specifically okay. didn't put it in one of the moments. But I'm okay. glad he's. I'm glad it's inducted, yeah. though. Yes, it so belongs. We, yes, we're in the same ballpark here. Like invariably, I'm going to do. Can't say go taking a home run off the noggin. Oh, it has. Uh, it's has a matter has. of time. Uh, we'll have you back. To talk. We'll have you be the expert on that episode. Uh, we also did Jim Abbott's one-handed no hitter. Yeah, that's in there. That's oh, perfect. In the book. It's a. I mean, that moment. I can't. We that episode recently came out. Allison Agosti, one of my favorite comedy writers, was on. Uh, the more I think about that game and him doing that with one hand, like you look at the mechanics of him taking the the glove off his stump and putting it's just wild to think about him throwing a no hitter. Oh my god! In Yankee Stadium, Jim Abbott. Oh my god. Okay, the last one was oh um the game where Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson played for the first time and uh, oh. Bo hit three home runs and Deion had the inside the Parker. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. There's a, really a lot good. of bow in the book. Yeah. There's a lot of bow in the Perfect. book. I got to tell you, I mean, look, I, I'm i not going to tell you how to do your, your job, obviously, <laughs> but how how you could have uh, the these moments and not have Bartolo Colon's home run is is that has got to get inducted. That just has to get <laughs> it's inducted. just a matter of time. It's about finding the right <laughs> Mets fan to come on and volley for it, pitch for it. It's 100% going to happen. Uh, do you have a favorite moment in baseball i got it's that feels so heavy but is there like something that like just sticks its head above at the you know leans in and and and, and you know takes the tape with a nose do you have a personal favorite moment either in the book or that you haven't yet written about um yeah i mean obviously i've got a lot of moments right but but i mean for me the moment is uh the 1942 negro leagues world series mm-hmm. when satchel page walked the bases loaded in order to face Josh Gibson in, oh in that moment. Wait, and, wait, I don't know this story. Oh my gosh. All right. So I'll, I'll tell it to you that. Please. So my, fir- my first book was about uh, my friend Buck O'Neill, who is mm. a great Negro Leagues player, manager, scout, um, spokesman for the game. Incredible guy. So he was there. So the game is going on 1942 world series between the Kansas city Monarchs and uh, the uh, Homestead Grays. And uh, Josh Gibson is, of course, playing for the Grays and uh, and Satchel Page playing for the Monarchs. And at some point, Satchel Page uh, calls over Buck O'Neill. Buck's playing first base. Calls him over and says, hey, listen, man, I'm going to walk the bases loaded so I can face Josh Gibson. <laughs> and, and Buck goes, what are you, crazy? This is the World Series. You can, are you insane? So he's like, I'm, I'm calling out the manager. So he calls out the manager. Oh. And the manager says, Buck, look around. See all these fans? They all came here to see uh, Satchel Page face Josh Gibson. So let the man do what he can do. <laughs> so he walks, the bases loaded. Josh Gibson steps to the plate. He, he they're, He's talking, he's saying, and so finally he goes, all right, listen, um, I'm going to throw uh, a fastball right down the middle, throws the fastball, swing and a miss for strike one. Or he just, maybe he looked, he just looked, he watched it go by. And then he's like, I'm going to throw you another fastball. And, and he goes, and he, uh, strike two. And then he goes, you know, in this league, 
uh, when you get uh, somebody down 0-2, you're supposed to throw at them, back them off the plate. And he says, but I'm not going to throw smoke at your yoke. I'm going to throw a pee at your knee. And he throws the fastball by him for strike three. So never been a moment (laughs) like that. People ask me all the time if there's anything I could go back in time to see. That's what I would go back in time to see. God, what a fantastic story. I recently went to the Negro League uh, Hall of Fame in Kansas City. Museum, absolutely. My favorite place in the world. I went with Marshawn Lynch and Pat Mahomes' dad. Pat Mahomes oh, yeah. Sr. Oh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it. For th- you had Bob Kendrick. You had President yes. Bob Kendrick. That's who so I was Bob just going to ask you about. Bob Kendrick is a, a goddamn American treasure. He is so oh frigging good. Holy mackerel. Bob is a brother to me. I mean, oh truly God. a brother. We've been we've been friends for 25 years, um, and I love him dearly. And he told me about that. He told yeah. me I didn't know you were there, but he told yeah. me about going with Marshawn Lynch and and uh, and Pat uh, Mahomes' uh, stepdad. Right? No, it was real. His dad. Real dad his yeah. stepdad, uh, not stepdad. His godfather um, is a former pitcher who's who's very involved with the Negro Leagues Museum, and. Uh, and you guys got to go around with Bob, which is the closest thing there is to going around the place with Buck O'Neill. He's, mm-hmm. he's like you say, he's just an American treasure. He really is. He's so fantastic. Um, one of the moments in your book that I didn't know the full story about, and I can't even start to talk about it without getting very happy. Can you tell us a, the quick summary of the George Brett Pintar incident? The best, the best. So, <laughs> and by the way, that's got to go in into the. Hall I know, I know. I just that, need a, the right Royals fan. Yeah, you, you, they're they're out there. They'll be happy to talk <laughs> about it. So, most people know about the actual Pine Tar game. Yes. So he uh, George Brett hits a home run to give the Royals the lead. He hits it off of Goose Gossage against the Yankees. Fantastic. Billy Martin <laughs> comes tearing out of the the dugout. He's the manager of the Yankees. Comes tearing out. Screaming that bat's illegal because the pine tar is too high on the bat, which was a stupid rule that was in baseball back then because they didn't like the owners didn't like the fact that these pine tar kept soiling the balls and they had to throw balls out. It was a completely done as a cheapness measure. That was the entire reason for it. So, so he he uh, they measure it. Sure enough, he has too much pine tar in the bat. And they point to the dugout. And while they're pointing, George Brett says to his teammates, if one of these SOBs calls me out, I'm going to go out and kill somebody. I'm just going <laughs> to And he, they call him out. He comes out screaming and yelling and going crazy. And everybody should go to YouTube and, and see it. It's, it's incredible. But here's the best part. Yes. Most people think the story ends there. I totally and, did. And it doesn't. Because the umpires blew the call. Brett, Brett did use an, a, a bat that had too much pine tar on it, but the way for, to stop that would have been for Billy Martin before he hit the home run right. to make him not use the bat. It wasn't an illegal bat in the sense of he was out. So, so they blew the call. So they had to finish the game. Like there was still four outs left in the game. So they came back to Yankee Stadium to finish the game. The, a huge uproar. Uh, the Yankees sued to try to get the game not even being played. I mean, it was a whole thing. But here is the best part. Here is the single best part of the Pine Tar game. 
So they come back, and of course, it's all different, totally different umpire and crew. Right. Uh, one of the Yankees had been traded, uh, so so they tried to get him back, <laughs> and they couldn't get it back. It's beautiful. <laughs> so you come out before the first pitch. Billy Martin tells his pitcher to appeal at first base, and he appeals at first base, saying George Brett didn't touch first, called safe. Then they appeal at second base, called safe. Billy Martin comes screaming out of the dugout saying, how could you possibly know? You weren't there. How could you possibly know that George Brett touched the bases? To which the umpire pulls out an affidavit from the earlier umpires saying that he had touched all the bases. It's the best. It's the best. That's so good that the, they that someone thought, hey, yeah, Billy Martin might try something, so right. we better go in there notarized and be ready to sort of I put up it. our argument. That's so good. It's it's I've said this on on the road as I've told the story. It's one of the few times where like justice prevails, right? Like where like somebody actually outfought the person and justice actually prevails. Oh, so good. Uh, if you want to learn more about the that incredible moment, go get Why We Love Baseball, History in 50 Moments by Joe Posnanski in your favorite local bookstore today. we got to dive into our moment, the moments we're talking about here today. To do that, we have to go through our Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge our moments. The first credential, as always, analytics. Here are some of the numbers, the stats behind these moments. We're going to start July 24, 1982, the National Sports Festival in Indianapolis. Carl Lewis, you know, why am I talking? Joe, can you tell us a bit about the moment as you've researched it, as you've written about, you've talked to also Carl Lewis about it, correct? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. So give me the, give me the, so here's here's how i remember it been a little while since i've done this since i've gone through this but here's how i remember it so carl lewis was at that moment 1982 the greatest long jumper uh in the world by far and probably even already the greatest long jumper ever when you consider like career you know i think of the top 10 long jumps he had something like six of them or some crazy number like that but he didn't have the world record. The world record was set by Bob Beeman, 1968, in altitude, one of the great Olympic moments ever. Right. right? Bob Beeman comes up and 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 jumps 28. What I don't what exactly the number was. I think it was 28.9 or something like that. The 20, 29, uh, wait a minute, 8, 8.9 meters, 29 uh two and a quarter. Oh, 29, two and a two and a quarter, something like that. That's yep. right. So Obviously, you know, Carl Lewis wants to break this record. So he's running in Indianapolis. He's, 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 you know, cause he also ran the hundred. He did everything right. else. He, he, he goes for this, for this jump. He, he hits the jump and he knows that he's broken the record. Mm-hmm. He knows it. He knows when he's in midair, he knows it. When he lands, he knows it. He looks over and realizes he's jumped 30 feet. The 30-foot jump, impossible, utterly impossible. Greatest jump in the history of uh, of, of anything, of long jump, of anything. Mm-hmm. And he looks over and they called a foul. Mm-hmm. They called, they said it was an, an illegal jump because his foot was just over the, the, the line uh, when he took off. He will tell you to this day 
There is no possible way. And of course, back then it was really just the way you looked at it. There was no, there were no electronic methods like they have now. He will tell you there is no possible way he fouled on that jump. So, so Carl Lewis will always tell you that he had the 30 foot jump, which nobody's ever done. And nobody still to this day has ever done. How did you learn? How did you learn about this moment? Well, it was interesting. I was doing something on Carl Lewis. I, I had gotten a chance to spend some time with Carl Lewis. For a while there, I was doing some things with the with the um, uh, Special Olympics. And they would come to me and they would say, hey, we, you know, we, we can give you a little bit of time with this person or that person. And so I got to spend time with some really, really cool people. And so that year it was Carl Lewis. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something on Carl Lewis, but I, I want to do something that hasn't been done before. Right. And I wanted to spend a little time on him in the long jump because even at that point, I was like, he's probably the greatest long jumper who ever lived, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have either of the top two yes. because by that point, the record had been broken, which right. I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. Yes, yes. So I I wanted to do that. And I, I either... I was going to say either he's told me about it because mm. I don't remember researching it before I talked to him. Mm-hmm. So either he told me about it and he might have like what seems familiar to me is he might have said, well, you know, obviously you're forgetting the 30 foot jump I had in Indianapolis or something right, like that. Right. And and I would have said something like, what, what are you talking? <laughs> tell me about that. About? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> I think that's what it was. It oh is possible I, I found it beforehand and, and asked about it. But we talked about it at some length. And I cannot make it clearer how certain he is he did not find. Oh, my God. Like, that's the best. Uh, do you but, – but now, it, correct me if I'm wrong. And, again, this is all from – I got all of this. I read your this classic Esquire article that you wrote – It'll be in our socials at first ballot uh, pod on Twitter at first ballot HOF on Instagram. I realize those should be the same. Uh, th- we'll link it there. You can go- you absolutely read this article. I love it. I keep it with me. It's one of the articles that I'll reread. I, I love it so much. I, I knew virtually nothing about long jump before I read this article. And it's basically the extent of my long jump information and knowledge uh, is this article that you've written. Correct me if I'm wrong, the 30-foot jump that Carl Lewis says he's certain that he made was never measured, correct? It was never measured because it was Ugh. it was uh because it was a foul. So mm-hmm. they they you don't measure fouls. Uh basically you just raise the flag and that's right. it. And then they sweep God, it up. So I'm like, you don't you don't even get to see the line. Mm. It was it was in his mind, like he looked over and said it was a 30-foot jump. Oh my god. So <laughs> You know, whether it would have actually been 30 feet, like if it actually did count and it actually had been 30 feet um, or or not, you know, it would have been 29, 10 or what. And like it would have been the record. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's really what would have mattered is it would have been the record. Um, on that day, again, July 24th, 1982, the National Sports Festival in Indianapolis, uh, Carl Lewis first jump he fouled. Then he had to run off to do the four by 100 relay. Cause I, right. I always forget that at track and field events, like all this shit is happening at one time. It would completely throw me off. If you're like jump as far as you can, I need everybody to stop moving. I need the people <laughs> in the audience to stop moving. You guys can't run. Everyone stop because I need to concentrate on jumping as far as I can possibly jump. That's not what happened here. 
Carl runs off to run a four by 100 relay. The team right. at the time ran the fifth fastest time <laughs> ever. That is wild. This guy is in the long jump. He goes, hold on. I got to go run the four by 100 relay. That team, the fifth fastest time ever recorded. That's right. Carl comes back to do another long jump. He fouls again. That's wild to think about. Uh, taken away a second time to accept the relay gold medal. And then he comes back and has that 30 foot jump that he claims his nose is 30 feet and it's never measured. What just a wild sports moment to think about a guy jumping 30 feet. That's our first long jump moment. It's so incredible. No, I mean, because you, you bring up a point that I think people miss all the time when it comes to track and field gymnastics it's chaos yes like like on television it doesn't look that right. way on television right it looks like oh this is you know this is uh how this is going and and everybody's focused and 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 every minute you spend is is preparing for this moment it's not like that at all right. there's 12 things happening all Ugh. around you you just finished doing with something else like you know the 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 very famous uh, ninety six uh, Olympic moment where uh, Kerry Strug landed on one leg. Right. There, it, 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 the way it looks on television, it looks like and it's a movie, right? Yes. Like 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 she, this is going to win. No, nobody even knew what was happening. There are four different events going on at the same time. Nobody really knows what the score is. Everybody's just kind of you know. It was an incredible moment, but but people miss out the fact that yeah. Carl Lewis is running. He's accepting oh, awards. He's, he's not like spending every minute focusing on that long jump before he actually does the long jump. It's it. I, I've never been to a track and field event just in seeing them. I can imagine that, but hearing and thinking about the craziness of it, all the chaos is just yeah. overwhelming to think about, you know, you like, obviously there are timeouts during a basketball game, but during the timeout, you're sitting and talking about the next play. Like you're not removed right. from the event that you're right. in You to think about all of that. Yeah. And also during a basketball game, there's not also a football game happening right next to you. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's, not, it's like, in the, it's like, it's like saying to like Kevin Durant, it's a timeout. Like, all right, Kevin, during the timeout, go cook some burgers yeah. up for the, for the concession stand and get on back down here and, and, and make the three to win it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Think about. Other Carl Lewis-specific stats to go over. And again, oh, also, Joe, I forgot to tell you, we inducted, me and Roy Wood Jr. inducted Carl Lewis's national anthem into the first ballot Hall of Fame. That's a great episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, th this yeah, honestly came from, germinated from that episode. I'm like, Carl Lewis is such a goddamn legend. And like I when I think about Carl Lewis, I think cover of Sports Illustrated Carl Lewis. Like that's how I was introduced to Carl Lewis is from the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was so such a meaningful thing to be on that cover. And as a kid looking at Carl Lewis and learning about Carl Lewis, I'm like this guy is from another planet. Like he was the best athlete ever when I was a kid. Like it seemed like no one was even remotely close to him. And then I start researching Carl Lewis stats for these podcasts and I go, "Holy shit, is this real? Part of five American Olympic teams." Uh, winning nine gold medals, one silver, uh, fastest human on the planet in 84 and 88, uh, won the 100-meter dash in both, uh, 10 world championship medals, eight of them gold. American 4x100 relay team never lost while Carl Lewis ran and was a part of it. 
He won four consecutive Olympic gold medals in the long jump, 84, 88, 92, and 96. That's crazy to think about. He's the guy that can jump the furthest for 12 years? Incredible. It's incredible. Oh, my God. And that brings us to the 1991 Tokyo World Championships. Uh, here are some of the stats on this event. Carl Lewis's first jump goes 8.68 meters. His Carl Lewis's first jump in this head-to-head -head battle is two centimeters longer than Mike Powell's ever gone. <laughs> Carl Lewis's first jump is further than Mike Powell's ever gone before in competition. In recorded competition. That's how this whole event starts. It's a top 20 jump in the world history. Carl Lewis's first jump in this 91 World Championships. And again, I'm getting most of this from your singular article that you wrote on Esquire. Uh, Lewis's third jump, he breaks his own personal record, jumping 28 feet, 11 and 5 eighths inches. And I'm flipping back and forth between metric and and, and inches here. I, I don't even know what to call the inches version. I, I'm terribly sorry about that. Would have been the third longest jump of all time, but it was wind-aided. Carl Lewis's fourth jump, he breaks the world record, 29 feet, 2 and 3 quarter inches, but again, wind-aided. I didn't realize this, but apparently wind-aided just affects records, but you can win the meet gold medal is that true Do you that's know? right oh, yeah perfect. yeah yeah when david does not affect the actual Event. competition got it's it. just the record got it uh powell's then fourth round he jumps 8.95 meters that's 29 feet four and three eighths inches uh wind was good no toe fault that's the world record so you've got these guys really jousting one-on-one -on -one going back and forth it's wild to think about there's something so basic about the long jump and about the 100 meter dash. It's like, listen, your job is to jump farther than anyone's ever jumped before in recorded human history in this event. It's just wild to think about. And then to think about these two dudes going back and forth and I'm going to break this. And now you're going to break your personal best. And now I'm going to break the world record, but it's wind dated. And now you have to do it. And then Carl Lewis gets two attempts after that to, 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 to try and best, uh, 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 Mike Powell, who's just broken the world record. It's just wild to think about. Yeah, everything about that is so wild, including the fact that the wind-aided element of it is like the wind is blowing. Yes. So it's like when he does the jump, how does the wind mm -hmm. measure? Is the wind measure above, you know, the, the, the line or below the line? And, I mean, it's the same day. Mm -hmm. They're jumping at the same place, but – when Carl Lewis jumped, the wind was a little bit up. I mean, what what effect did that have on it? Nothing. And then when when uh, Powell jumps, the wind is just under the limit, and he breaks the world record. It, it's it's the greatest it's the greatest battle in the history of maybe of track and field, but certainly in the history of the long jump uh, is is those guys going back and forth. You wrote in your article. I'm just going to read this straight. Read this. I'm just stealing from Joe Posnanski here. Quote from this Esquire article, quote, that left Lewis with two more jumps to both win the world championship and beat both Powell and Beeman. That's when he unleashed an amazing effort, perhaps the greatest long jump achievement in the history of the sport. He twice jumped 29 feet twice 
in a row. He jumped 29 feet, one and one eighth inches on his penultimate try. And he jumped almost exactly 29 feet on his last try. Amazing, ridiculous. Before that day, only two men had jumped 29 feet, both at altitude. Carl Lewis did it three consecutive times, unquote. And Carl Lewis lost. He did that he three times and <laughs> lost. Oh my God. He lost the event, yeah. which was if again, correct me if I'm wrong, the first time he had lost in 10 and a half years. That's right. And he lost. So he loses that event and he loses. He watches <clears throat> someone take the world record right in front of him. That is amazing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's hard to. This is the greatest long jumper in history, mm. without question. Nobody's even close to Carl Lewis as the long, greatest long jumper in history. And he lost that world yes. championship, and he doesn't have the record. Oh There's, I, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. You know, I mean, it's it's the Olympics can do that. I mean, track and field can do that because the Olympics come along every four years. So sometimes the greatest you know, in, in any individual moment, for whatever reason, they have one bad race and they don't right. ever end up with the gold right. medal. Right. Uh, so it can happen, but to this day, of course, and here's something else that's that I, I don't know if you're going to want to get into it all, but we have apparently as a, as a world, we no longer can jump like that anymore. Like nobody's come close. Why is that? To these That's in your article again. I'm like, I'm referencing this like you and I have spoken about this. That is in your uh, your Esquire article. Why is that the case? Why has no one gotten close? You'd presume that as training, as facilities, as rehab gets better, as PEDs get better, you'd presume <laughs> that we would get longer long jumps. Why do you know why that's the case? Why no one gets close anymore? I I don't. I've I've tried to talk to track coaches about it, and they give me various. Uh, you know, people don't concentrate it on the same way. It's mm. it's it's the best athletes don't do it as much. And you know, I mean, Carl Lewis was such an extraordinary athlete in general that you know that now like Usain Bolt never tried the right. long jump. You right. know what I mean? Like it's it's the event is not. And maybe Usain Bolt would have jumped thirty feet. Right. I mean, he was that kind of athlete. So. You know, I think that's part of it, but it's hard to explain no other element of track and field, no other event in track and field have the numbers gone backward right. in that way, right. the way that they have with the long jump. And now, like you can win, you can win a gold medal with like a jump two feet shorter than than what mm. Carl Lewis and and uh and and my pal were doing. I mean, it really is quite incredible. That's crazy to think about. The 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 other two things I want to talk about, one, the, like capitalism, I think about capitalism, the gripping crush of capitalism, capitalism crushing and hurting sports. It's like if you're Usain Bolt, it's probably advantageous. I, I, I don't know this. I'm imagining this. I can imagine a world where someone says to Usain Bolt, no, 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 you're not long jumping, dude. You are the best at the 100 meter dash. You need to be the fastest man alive on the planet. We can market that. We can sell that. You can make money. So don't go do that. And it's funny to think about the athletes that transcend that. The Carl Lewis's that go, it, dude, it doesn't even matter. I'm just here to gather up all these gold medals and all these records. It's wild to think about that happening. It's all also wild to think i love thinking about perfection and how it nothing is nothing is perfect lebron james 
has that incredible story, but he had to devastate Cleveland. He had to have because he can't be perfect. He you he can't be a perfect basketball player. There has to be a fatal flaw. He can't be a perfect free throw shooter. There's got to be something that goes against him. And to think about Carl Lewis, who's probably as good of a track athlete as anybody is at any other sport that they've ever played. It's very right. funny to think that the guy, oh, you know what? By far and away the best longer jumper, but he doesn't have that world record, and he had it taken in front of him. That It's just a wild thing to think about when you think about perfection. He can't be perfect. He needs to have a loss, and that is Carl Lewis's, and he's going to take it with him forever. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, it's really incredible. And and you're right. I mean, Carl Lewis followed in the footsteps, as all American athletes did, of Jesse Owens, right? right? Jesse Owens – Great long jumper, great in the hunter, ran the four by one hundred. Uh, you know, in, in in Nazi Germany before the war. I mean, it's you know did did all of that, and that became like the that's the height. The height was okay. You can win the hundred. That's great. Um, you can you can anchor the four by one hundred. Really, that's great. But but Jesse Owens also did the long jump. So so for Carl Lewis, who was so interested and and devoted to being the greatest who ever lived he had to do that but now you're right it's not even a question of i mean look of course capitalism plays a role but it also is usain bolt is like for me it's the 100 and the 200 i'm not going to do the the long jump it's the 100 and the 200 which is also an incredible incredible feat but everybody kind of looked at the long jump as not everybody but a lot of these super high level track stars looked at the long jump as sort of a eh, that's sort of a minor event yeah, now. Yes. And and you know, it's really the specialists in the long jump, the high jump, it's you, you don't have that many crossover athletes anymore. And of course, in women in women's track, that was the same thing, was like if you ran the hundred and two hundred, you also did the long jump. Um, and, and that, even that is beginning to, to fade away. It's, it's, it's funny because in my head, like the hundred meter dash and the long jump, like those things, it's like very easy to understand, very easy to sell to people. I'm surprised that there isn't more. Cause I like go, yeah, I want to know the dude that's jumped further than anyone else before. Like there's something right. so base about that that makes it interesting. Uh, 8.95 meter. That's the world record. Mike Powell's recorded legal 8.95 meter jump, 29 feet, four and three eighths inches to put that in, um, a, a perspective people can understand. That's well over two Toyota Tercels, the 1998 version, <laughs> the 95, I believe I saw is longer, but the 98, 161.8 inches, just over 13 feet, two Toyotas Tercels, then 26 feet. Powell jumped 29, four and three eighths, much longer than two Toyota Tercels. If you think about the size of Toyota Tercel and Ankylosaurus is about 30 feet long. If we're to believe paleontologists, <laughs> This idea doesn't really help us understand the jump because none of us have seen an Ankylosaurus, but it does feel like a good time as ever to mention one of my favorite armored dinosaurs. Uh, this sure. one I do believe will land Mike Powell's world record jump. And again, the 30 foot jump that never happened is clearly longer than this, but Mike Powell's world record jump is nearly exactly four Victor Wembenyamas. <laughs> Four Victor Wembanyamas. It's just the three eighths is short of 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 the record. Victor Wem four Victor Wembanyamas. Just three eighths of an inch shorter than the world record. Crazy to think about. Four Victor. I love that. I love I love the idea. Like I always think about it. 
you you you're you're running. You you're about to score a touchdown. You take off at the ten yard line yes. and you land in yes. the end zone. You just that's it. You just land in the end zone. That's that's how that goes. Like yeah. you it's, think about like the the majesty of like uh like a Walter Payton. Pick your favorite running back. I think of Walter yeah. Payton diving over the pack to oh, score yeah. but that's yeah. from the one yard line go nine yards back that's how far this dude is jumping to get into the end zone wild to think about my god uh it we, is and if you watch them like they're high yes. you have to be high in the air i mean yes. gravity gravity worse you're not running you're jumping like straight 20 they are super duper high in the air so you could somebody would take off from the 10 mm-hmm. jump over like Reggie White and then land in the end zone. Like that's that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> that's so wild. <laughs> well, NFL Network does that thing with Rich Eisen where he ran the 40 and now they'll superimpose oh, yeah. Rich's 40 time against the dudes that are running it from the league, trying to get into the league. Seeing that perspective, like watching <laughs> someone do the long jump, like watching Michael Powell and having immediately after Mike Powell goes like the best athlete in the local high school, go try and do it. So you can see how brutally difficult these things are. Would I think help with perspective? It's something I want to pitch to the Olympics. I'm going to get it in front of the right. I've actually, I've actually heard that. Like there, there, there are various people who have said that the best way to do the Olympics is after, and that's in every sport, every sport, Hey, uh, you got in there and you swim 50 meters. Yes. See how long it takes you to do yes. it. There, you go ahead and and play, uh, you know, badminton against these guys hitting at 120 miles an hour. Let's see how you do it in your little backyard badminton game. Um, yeah, the, it is it is impossible to fully comprehend how incredible these athletes are. The next credentials we move on is the eye test. What did we see in these moments? My first question to you, Joe, is have you seen, I don't know how much time you spent on YouTube poking around Carl Lewis clips, but there is a clip of Carl Lewis jumping that people claim, I mean, the the person that posted it claimed it is this 30-foot jump that's never happened. Have you seen that clip? I've seen it. I've seen what they claim to be. I don't, I don't know if that it's is. Real, it's pretty grainy, yes. kind of hard to... See, um, but it's an impressive jump. It's a crazy I mean, you know, jump. Like it's it's a crazy. But the but the thing is, for I think for for me and somebody who's just a just you know doesn't really understand the sport beyond sort of you know what. But it, this is an eye test. All of Carl Lewis's jumps yes. are like incredible. Yes. Interesting. I mean, like the guy jumped twenty nine feet like again and again and again. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's and when you watch it, I mean, again, pick. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't need to be this 30 foot jump that never happened or the, any of the jumps from the world record day. Watch any Carl Lewis long jump event. It's like he got shot out of a cannon. And as I was writing yeah. that down, I was thinking, I wonder if like that's the genesis of that phrase because it's, that's never been more true. He's running down the track seemingly at full tilt. And then it's like he strangely picks up speed and goes flying into the sky and they are throwing their bodies out to get every last inch. It is truly amazing to, to see on television. I want, we should all every person on this planet should get the chance to sit on the track as someone does that to really get a full appreciation of how crazy it is but watching any professional long jumper long jump is like it's insane it almost makes you insane you can't believe it's real all of these things i mean it's so true but if you watch the high jump it's the only time that you really appreciate how 
high. Mm. These bars are higher than Victor Wembanyama. I mean, right. like, and they're <laughs> jumping over them without touching the bar. Oh I mean, it's, it's, you know, the pole vault is an insanity. It's insane. You, you think of the pole vault, it's like, oh, yeah, they're springing themselves forward. These these stupid poles, I mean, they're like, they weigh a ton. And, and they, like, it's, and you have to be nuts. And they're going 20 feet in the air with these poles. I mean, it's unbelievable. All of these are. But you're right. The the long jump in particular, because it's, it's like you have trained your body to fly mm. as far yes. as possibly yes. can fly in every way. And that is how you use your hands, how you use your legs, what you're doing mm-hmm. in the air, what you're and it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, the very, very best of these, it's it's like little miracles every time they do it. That's exactly right. Uh, the next credential is our ear test. What did we hear in this? Listen, the 30-foot jump that never happened, we don't have a recording of that. Again, it's on you. But the, even the YouTube clip that someone claims is the jump, which we don't have confirmed, uh, there's no audio on that jump. We've not right. heard it. Sometimes a call will help make a moment I, you mentioned this in the Esquire thing. There's some legend to the 30-foot jump that never happened. There's a fantasy to it because we don't have the information, and I do think that makes it more fun to think about that we – I can't – I don't know if it's real or not. Totally agree. Totally agree. That was a big thing for me in in Why We Love Baseball and in my new one, mm-hmm. Why We Love Football. Um, legendary moments yes. that like – I mean, it's one thing like there's so many incredibly – funny, uh, touching, inspiring moments that we've seen again and again and again and again, and they still maintain their power. Mm. But there are plenty of other moments that are special because we don't mm-hmm. see them. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- one of the moments that I write about in in Why We Love Baseball is the incredible throw Bo Jackson made to get Harold Reynolds at the plate. He throws it from, from all the way back in the fence. And Part of what has kept that going through the years is the camera cuts away. Yes. So we don't actually yes. see Bo Jackson make the yes. throw. And we don't actually see how the ball flew Gets in the there. air. And, <laughs> and I think that's made it better. Yes. So to me, I would fight for the the, the longest jump that never happened because right. it's a legend. Right. And because it didn't count. Very and good. and it's it's to me, it's the thing that you just pass on through the years. Oh, it's very, that's a very good, ooh, that really makes this tough. Because I was leaning towards this this world record jousting uh, and, the, and, and Powell getting it. But that's very good. That's a lot to consider. We're going to have to keep going here. We do have the call on Mike Powell's world record. Dwight Stones, let's listen to it together. On his last attempt, Carl Lewis jumped in excess of the current world record held for the past 22 and a half years by Bob Beeman. However, it was wind-aided, exceeding the allowable limit by nine-tenths of a meter per second, or roughly two miles per hour. This is Mike Powell, fifth-round jump. He's starting to run out of time. Powell's got to get on his horse right here. Oh, big jump for Powell! That was huge! And it's a fair jump. Carl, like everyone else, waiting for the measurement. Powell standing in front of the board, transfixed. 29, four and a half, a new world record, and the wind is okay. 
Mike Powell virtually out of nowhere in this competition. A long foul in the fourth round, but his best legal mark, 28 feet a quarter inch before that explosion, that bomb. At 29, four and a half, Powell exceeds Beeman by two inches at sea level with no win and with room to spare on the board. That's one of my favorite things about watching the world record is they did have at this time, uh, 91 instead of the the uh, 30 foot jump that never happened in the 80s. They did have a camera on the board. Mike Powell's world record jump, he's got a ton of space on the board. Like he could have potentially gone even further if he had gotten that toe <laughs> right at the edge of the board. Fascinating to think about. Yeah, an incredible, incredible jump. What an incredible achievement. And under duress, mm. under tremendous pressure to do it. And uh, and that's a pretty good call, by I the agree. way. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good call. The, the only thing that makes that call tough is they didn't know. Right. You know, I mean, that's the thing that, I mean, it's, 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 they were like, it's huge, yes. but that we don't know, right. is it going to be big enough? And, and, you know, look, that that's, we're dealing with inches. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be uh, really tough, but that's the one thing about that call is it's, it's not like, oh, he broke the record. Right. Like you have to wait for the number yes. to come in. Yeah, that's a, and uh, that's a fascinating part of it in that you could, and I'm not blaming Dwight Stones here because I, I guess no, no. It, it makes no, no it makes no sense for anyone to presume that's the world record right. jump. But right. if, if Dwight Stones had maybe dropped, like, oh, this is going to be close. Like if there had been any, and again, I truncated yeah, the call a little bit for like, time. this has a chance yes. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. He could have baited yeah. it and made the pause and waiting for the measurement spicy and interesting and <laughs> a, a little bit better. But generally speaking, I completely agree with you. A pretty good call. Again, well, presuming you're not going to see Mike Powell break the – like the presumption was you're not going to see Mike Powell break the world record today that's existed right. for 22 <laughs> years or whatever it was. Like that's insane. No, it's – and I think it's a really, really good call because, yeah, yeah you, you don't expect it. If anybody's going to do it, it's Carl right. Lewis. You don't expect Mike Powell. Even though Mike Powell was great, you don't expect him to do it. Certainly not in that moment. Um yeah, if he had just added just a little yes, like, agreed. oh, this has got a chance. Yes. This has got you know something, but it's still a great call. Still a great, still call. a great call. The one, my favorite thing in the video, going back to the eye test for just a moment, when you watch Mike Powell again, it's that big giant pregnant pause. Everybody's waiting for the measurement, and the moment it comes in, Mike Powell sort of famously just takes off running through the yeah. through the concourse through the event. Uh, you know, playing to the crowd. Obviously, he's thrilled. He's just broken a world twenty-two-year-old world record, uh, longest jump ever. Um, they cut to Carl Lewis, and how does Carl Lewis react? He just takes off his sweatshirt to get ready to jump. Yep. That's the coldest shit I've ever seen. For you, you think that the guy would be devastated, or even show any slight bit of like, oh man, or like look to the skies and be like, how am I? Gonna? He just takes off his sweatshirt, like time to fucking go. Yeah, no, in my in my memory of talking to him about it, um, he had no doubt in his mind he was going to break. Oh the my god, he had no. no doubt in his mind, <laughs> not even a doubt that he was going to. And the fact he came so close so twice. <laughs> <laughs> 
to, to oh, jump over Lewis. 20, to, to have that, to watch that live in front of you as the presumptive favorite, haven't lost in 10 and a half years, to watch a guy take the world record and beat his own record by so long and to just go, I'm taking off this the crew neck, I'm going to go do yep. this, and then to successfully jump over 29 feet twice after that. It is just wild to think about. It's I, like, I... Oh, I want to say this. I don't know anything about track and field, but I want to say that is the most impressive day Carl Lewis has ever had. And to think about it being in a loss is fascinating. Yeah, I agree. I mean, nobody's ever done it. And and it certainly looks to me like nobody ever will come close to doing it again. Three consecutive oh jumps of 29 oh feet God. is it's it's mind blowing. It really is mind blowing. And then, yeah, it wasn't good enough on this day. Mike Powell. I mean, give it up to Mike yeah, Powell. Totally, My 100%. God, Mike Powell's got to be walking around talking big shit everywhere he goes. Haven't pulled that off. Oh yeah, time. I would absolutely. You I fucking would. never I shut mean, me. I up. would have a T-shirt, man. I'd be wearing it. Every, I would have the number. I'd have the measurements on my shirt. Every shirt I wore. Are you kidding? The whole goddamn wardrobe would have some sort of reference to this jump. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. You think just like me, Joe. This is fantastic. Uh, the next credential, the butterfly effect. Listen, there's no comment section today. No, you mad. Nobody's really talking spicy about long jumps in 91 or 82. But the butterfly no. effect, again, from Joe's fantastic Esquire article, quote, Carl Lewis says now that if he had broken the record in 1991, with the long jump, the best, you know, longest long jump that never happened. He would have retired from the long jump. He wanted to focus more on his sprinting. But once Powell broke the world record, Lewis felt like he could not retire. There was still unfinished business. He never quite got the record, but he did win two more Olympic golds. Unquote. Fascinating to think about. If yeah. he breaks the record, if he jumps over 30 feet, if that is legal if there's a camera that can prove the judge wrong and he ends up getting the 30-foot jump he retires and doesn't maybe doesn't i mean he has the world record but he wouldn't have won four long jumps in a row olympic right. gold medals that's crazy to think about how much stuff changes because of him both not getting that 30-foot jump and then mike powell breaking that record well, and if we think about it from a different perspective, you're right. It's 100% right. And I believe Carl Lewis when he said that. Because, mm. I mean, he really was. Sprinting was definitely his big thing yeah. at that point. The long jump, he'd proven everything. Uh, he was the greatest long jumper ever. He'd already won two Olympic gold medals. He had, you know, jumped the 30-foot jump. He had done everything else. And think about it from the other perspective, mm. which is if he breaks the record – Mike Powell probably has an Olympic gold medal. Right. Mike Powell does not have an Olympic gold right. medal. He's the he's got the record. Right. But but Carl Lewis has the four Olympic gold medals. Mm. So some of that gets swapped around. Yeah. Maybe Mike Powell oh, wins so in 92 and 96. I mean, it's 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 truly it's truly astonishing to think what that changed. And I really I remember when he told it to me, and I and he's he, of course he sounded very sincere. But beyond that, the way he explained mm -hmm. it, it made perfect sense mm -hmm. to me that knowing what a competitor Carl Lewis was, he couldn't quit after that. And he, you know, he said he had unfinished business, um, but he wanted the record. Yes. And that's what he kept yes. going for. And then 96, he knew he wasn't going to get the record. But at that point, he's like, I'm going to win another Olympic gold medal. Oh my God. Just 
Carl Lewis. I, I th- that's the thing about inducting his national anthem. Very funny, a great moment in sports. It's in the first ballot hall yes. of fame. It's never coming out. But I did feel like in that moment, I'm disrespecting how incredible of an athlete this guy <laughs> is by only having that moment in. Uh, I'm glad we're doing this show. Uh, let's talk quickly about the podcast. Uh, how did you and Mike Sure meet? How did the show come together? Uh. Yeah, so a few years ago, so Mike, before he, it was really while he was working on The Office, um, used to do this um, this blog uh, called Fire Joe Morgan, mm. which was um, him sort of making fun of, and him and a couple of other writers, by the way, who have who have gone on uh, to some big things themselves, um, but but they would make fun of sports writers and sports announcers who said and wrote stupid things and a friend he wrote a savage takedown just a savage takedown of somebody i knew a friend of mine Mm. uh totally deserved totally deserved (laughs) and and i and i didn't know him and i just wrote him a note and said hey man uh loved this this was hilarious totally deserved but please don't ever do this to me. If you ever do this to me, I'll never be able to leave the house. I like I I I just don't have the confidence to to come back from that. And and he wrote back and he said, uh, "Hey man, I love uh, I love your stuff. If you're ever in L.A., we ought to get together." And this was before he had done um, Parks and Rec. I I think this was right in between, maybe when he uh, and Greg were were beginning to sort of put together parks and recreation. Um, and then we became really good friends. And then, and then at some point we went with a few friends of ours to on a spring training trip. And we were, uh, we were there on the trip and, and just watching the game. Uh, I think we were watching Pittsburgh and at some point for reasons I can't describe, we started drafting our favorite fruits. We just started drafting fruit. Um, and I remember us getting into a very big argument about whether strawberry should be number one. I think he had strawberry at number one. <laughs> so uh, or maybe I did. I can't remember. I remember us having a real big fight about strawberry. <laughs> and then, so it just sort of at some point he's like, yeah, let's let's record this stupid, you uh. know, stupidity. And uh and wow, we've been doing it now for like more than a decade, uh, which has been incredible. And obviously, you know, I love Mike, and he's he's such an incredibly talented uh, guy, and and has had incredible success, Parks and Rec, and Brooklyn Nine Nine, and The Good Place, and Hacks, and you know, he's involved in five hundred different shows all the time. Um, but it's just we've we've never done it for any other reason other than we just oh, enjoy so like good. talking you know oh, it's really so funny good. uh you guys had Joey Votto on the show yeah yes i love Joey Votto do you have any good Joey Votto stories um yeah we had him on he actually asked to come on mm. um specifically because he had some beef about the baseball 100 there were certain things in the baseball 100 oh, that he had beef about um, that must be thrilling for you that he's cares enough about this book of yours that he goes, I want to get on your podcast to debate your book. What a thrill. Oh, it was a thrilling. It oh. was beyond thrilling. And so we've been friends ever since then. And he'll just send me. And, you know, he's he's uh, I mean, there's a pretty good like He's into comedy like he he's like that. Might funny. Be, yeah, he's very funny. And I think he really wants to 
to do some comedy stuff after he uh, retires, which he doesn't want to do yet. The Reds just uh, let him go. And I know he wants to play at least another year. But after that, I mean, he's a very, very funny guy. He really is. He's very good. Uh, have you seen that thing? Uh, it was like a Letterman, Jerry Seinfeld interview, and they're talking about um, Joey Votto. Have you seen that? I think it's on Netflix. No, no, I haven't seen that. It's a really funny clip. We'll put it on our social for this episode. But it's it's Letterman talking about how he's at a game, the Reds game, because he was a Reds fan growing up. And he's talking about how Joey Votto comes up to, you know, to the on deck circle and he's swinging the weighted back, getting ready. And he turns to Letterman and is like, uh, uh, hey, Dave, thanks for coming out today. And Letterman was so taken by the fact that a player would thank fans and then thank him specifically for coming to this game. He thought it was so gentlemanly. And he's like, can you believe that happened? And Seinfeld's like, 100 percent, I can believe it happened. And Letterman's like, what do you mean? He goes, that also happened to me. And Letterman's like, who did it? And he's like, Joey Votto. Same thing. I went to a game. Joey Votto spotted me and came over and thanked me for being on the game. It's just so great. And it makes me love Joey Votto. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's him. That is totally him. I mean, he's just he's just the most aware baseball player, like, of the fans and yes. what the fans mean of anybody in the so game. Good. Uh, so and he's also – a huge fan of comedy, so it yeah. does not surprise me that those are the guys that he he chose out. I'm sure he's done it for plenty of others. Joe, this show is about sports moments, the best sports moments. What is the best moment in your career so far? Do you have a moment that sticks out in your career that maybe it's the moment after which everything changed? Maybe it's the high, you know, the peak of your career so far. Do you have a great moment that you love? A favorite moment from your career? Wow, there've been a lot. You know, I mean, it just there've just been a lot of of great moments that that have, have you know just getting to travel the country with buck o'neill such an incredible such an incredible i mean moment after moment there and and you know being at what 10 olympics and a bunch mm. of super bowls and a bunch of world series and a bunch of masters and a bunch of you know just just my whole career has been this ridiculously lucky break i mean it's it's been it's been really just amazing and it's so it's hard sort of to pick one moment that just stands out um you know but but i mean recently things have changed in many ways for me with the success incredible success of uh baseball 100 and and why we love baseball those those have sort of taken me mm. weirdly to a whole other place um which has been really eye opening and wild and and so so it seems like every day there are like these really, really cool moments, these really cool people I get to meet and spend time with and, and, you know, just having various people, you know, like, like, you know, just waking up one day and people are sending me texts saying, Hey man, Colin Hanks, congratulations. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and Colin, Colin Hanks had just had been interviewed by the New York times and he he goes. Um, they asked him like, "What's keep you know?" Sort of the, during it was a little after the pandemic, but it was like, "What's making you happy these days?" Mm. And he went into a long thing about how the baseball 100 Ugh. was making him happy, which is incredibly Amazing. cool. So like that's really cool. But the best thing is that then I got to meet and know Colin a little bit. Mm. He's a wonderful guy, and he told me the story that years ago his father had given him um no i think he had given his father okay. 
uh, a baseball book. Got it. And uh, I think it was it was maybe the 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 the, the Cardinals book about Larusa, and and he said in his dad had said to him, someday I'm going to find a better baseball book and I'm going to give it to you as a gift. And so the way Colin Hanks got oh the baseball 100 was Tom Hanks gave it to him. So I mean, shit. what a I great know, story! I know. <laughs> so, you know, like, stuff happens, and you're just like, "This is how? How is this happening what to me?" But it's it's been amazing. What a blessing! That's fantastic. Congratulations! You deserve it. Your work is amazing. It's amazing. You. Your work is amazing. I, I someday I hope to know that feeling to be like I did this thing and it was amazing and people love it. Someday, man. Someday I'm going to get there. Uh, <laughs> Joe, I see the time is winding down, and it's it's usually at this point that I ask the guests a very serious question, then I very coldly cut them off. I chop them off. I really Sometimes I'll ask people something very personal, something I know they want to talk about. Recently, I asked people about their kids, and then they start answering, and I cut them off. I'm not going to yes. do that to you. You are an esteemed guest. I won't do it to you. It's just time for more important. It's America's favorite podcast segment, I'm about to ask you a series of questions, and your answer to these questions will all be far more important than any of the bullshit we've talked about so far on this show. Your answers will define who you are as a person on this planet. Are you ready for more important? Uh, I am ready. You can only go to one chain restaurant for the rest of your life. Where are you going? Olive Garden. Wow. wow. No, nah, boo. <laughs> Nobody likes that answer, Joe. A terrible answer. The entire You've just lost the entire audience. They're booing I know. You. I know. Oh, my God, Joe. Who knew that you could be so good at one thing, sports writing, and so <laughs> bad at tasting food? <laughs> just a terrible answer. What is, Unless, what is the right answer? What the, is the right answer? The, that's a, I really appreciate you asking me. The right answer is... Cheesecake Factory. I really appreciate you now making this about me. This more important is about Joe Poznanski, but somehow I've wrested away control. It's now about me. And the answer is Cheesecake Factory. That menu is 500 pages long and there's a heater on every single page. I did not ponder the the, the going back as, as many times as I need to go back. So that's that, right. That does. Thank yeah, because that is a 250-page menu for 100%. sure. 100%. All right, here we go. The best sports movie or your favorite sports movie. You can only answer one if they're the same. Congrats. You've gamed the system. Your be The best sports movie you've ever seen or your favorite sports movie? The best sports movie is A League of Their Own. Got it. Wow. There you go. How about that? I love How that. How about that? Tom Hanks, who loves your book. Oh, my God. I love the back. book. <laughs> uh, who is Joe Poznanski's favorite sports writer? Oh, gosh. I have so many of them. Yeah, um, I'm asking you to say one. One. I hate saying <laughs> yeah, one. Okay, that's unfair. That's it. All right. I'm going to say New York Post columnist Mike Vaccaro. Oh, my Vaccaro's great. We love Vaccaro. He's here. great. He's so great. So and he's also like my brother. So, I, you know, that's I, he would be mad at me if I chose anybody else. <laughs> Do you, uh, next question, more important, best sports nickname of all time. Cool Papa Bell. That's easy, actually. <laughs> cool Papa <laughs> Bell of, of, of the Negro Leagues is, is easily the best sports nickname ever. Yeah, I lots of great legends about how fast Cool Papa Bell is. There are Bell a lot of great names. Yeah. There are so many great nicknames. Uh, who, next question, more important, who is the funniest baseball player? Do you, is there someone that you, sticks out to you as the funniest baseball player that you've talked to? Funniest? Anybody that makes you laugh? Joey Votto. Yeah. Joey Votto is, I think, the funniest baseball player. Now, the funniest ever... You didn't ask that. Okay. Funniest ever is Bob Euchre. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> legitimately like one of the funniest people so on earth. So funny. And that voice so makes funny. him so goddamn funny. Oh, uh, he's so funny. A great answer. So Bob Euchre. Uh, yeah. Last question, more important. Joe Posnanski, name something that really kicks ass. It can be whatever you want, but it's got to kick ass. I would say that telling someone I'll see you in hell kicks a lot of ass. Name something that kicks, really kicks ass. Oh, this is going to be so bad. You, the, I mean, if I haven't lost the audience by now, I'm going to lose them now. <laughs> if you say Olive Garden, so help me God, Joe. No, no, God, that would be great, though, if I did. What, what if I just said all-you-can-eat salad? Oh, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Oh, I'm behind that all of a sudden. <laughs> Taking your daughter to Taylor Swift concert. Uh, How about that? That's a great answer. I do love that. I'm oh, behind that. Ass. That's great. A great answer. Uh, it's time. You did great. More important was fantastic. It's time for the cosign. Next credential, the cosign. Joe Posnanski, the floor is yours. The mic is yours. Which of these moments is it? One of them? Is it both of them? Is it neither of them? Is uh, belongs in the first ballot Hall of Fame, and why? Is it the uh, the the longest jump that never happened? Is it the world record Mike Powell, uh, a 91, uh, jousting back and forth? Which of those two moments belongs in the first ballot Hall of Fame, if any? Well, well, I think they both belong. I don't know that you can put both in. If you can only put one in, which I think you have to. I think as much as I have already been pushing and loving the 30-foot jump, the moment that belongs in the Hall of Fame because of the back and forth, because of the incredible record because of the the way that Carl Lewis responded to the record. I think the moment has to be the world championship battle between Carl Lewis and Mike Powell. It's time for the induction. I want to want to go into this so fast because I, a thought just hit me. I'm very happy about it and I want to share it with the audience. It's time for the induction speech. That's when I, Neil, get to decide what happens. Listen, Joe is one of the most esteemed guests we've had. I could take everything he just said, crumple it up into a ball and throw it right into the garbage. I <laughs> run this Hall of Fame. I can do whatever I want. And here's what I'm doing. J listening to Joe generously go, not this moment that I you know, wrote, famously wrote about. Uh, he's going to give the credit to that, that world record jousting between Mike Powell and Carl Lewis. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fold the longest jump that never happened into that and say, you don't get that jousting. You don't get that incredible uh, world championship final and the world record from Mike Powell without that moment previously. That moment drives Carl Lewis to go after the goal, to be the best he can be. He stays in the sport because that moment happened, and that's how we get that moment. They are together. I'm putting them together and putting them into the first foul Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Yes, Dancing, yes. Carl Lewis, Mike Powell, a fantastic episode. Joe, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, how can people follow you? How can they support what you're doing? What are you working on next? Yeah, they they can. Obviously, the books are 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 everywhere to be found. Uh, you go to JoePosnanski.com. I write a newsletter uh, that people uh, can sign up for. It's free uh, unless you want to read it. Uh, and then it costs a little more, but it's it's free to sign up. I do have a lot of free stuff there, uh, just at JoePosnanski.com. And, of course, the, do the podcast. The big podcast is coming up, uh, which is uh, me and Mike and about 12 other people. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
I feel so lucky to have you on. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I identified you as like, I, I don't know that we're going to get him. And so we hemmed and hawed about even reaching out and asking that you agreed to do this, that you made time for us. It means a lot. I'm a huge fan of your work. Thank you so much for doing the show. Absolutely. Thank you. That's it. That's the show. My sincere thanks to Mr. Joe Poznanski. Kind of can't believe he graced our little show. So cool to meet him and get to know him a little bit. And nice to pay proper respect to Carl Lewis. Credit. Robbie Bobby's the editor. Jessica Singh is the captain of this ship. EJ Cabasal is the new guy. Rhythm J makes all the beats. And David Estramsky is DA. He's my producer of Falls Life. Write and review us if you would, please. Come back next week. And I'll see you in hell. That was huge!